0: This is a story about apples, native Irish apples. I think it's quite a surprising story in which things like this happen.
1: And that Saturday morning, bulldozers levelled everything and destroyed
2: a lot of a lifetime's work.
0: It is about apple finders and apple keepers.
2: Um, but he didn't know I was doing it and I didn't know that he was doing it. And, and he was gone way too soon. Yeah, he, he knew much more.
0: Who went on a journey to find our missing native Irish apples.
3: Um, yeah, we're constantly keeping an ear out and an eye out for the names we don't release the names publicly
0: I'll start the story with Anita Hayes her husband Tommy Hayes is a traditional Irish musician and you will hear his music throughout the story He
2: really wanted to record traditional music about apples
0: Anita and Tommy Hayes set up Seed Savers Association in 1991 to protect Ireland's food crop heritage for future generations. Originally in Carlow, it moved to its permanent home in Scariff in East Clare in 1996. I met Anita in her studio in the garden of her house in East Clare. We sat on her veranda, which was surrounded by native apple trees. I felt like I was deep in a forest. It was a misty morning in September and Anita had invited me for breakfast, which was an apple tart that she had baked.
2: They can't talk about apples without eating them. (laughs) So. Thank you. So these are made with um, Irish pitchers and honey balls.
0: Oh my god, the smell is gorgeous.
2: Yeah, full of life.
0: could be in the middle of nowhere.
2: And it's magical in this misty rain. Your experience is exactly what my experience was traveling around looking for the old trees. You'd come upon these places in the middle of nowhere, with these ancient trees kind of fallen over uh, on an old isolated farm. And magic, total magic, yeah. I'm going to stop the story of
0: the magical journey looking for apples just there. I'll come back to it in a few minutes. Before I heard this story, what I knew about apples was that there were green ones and red ones and cooking apples that my mum used to make apple tarts with. I do have a memory of picking apples when I was a kid. I remember the apples had a smell and tasted sweet. We now import 90% of all of our apples. They don't smell really of apples anymore and they don't seem to have the same taste as the ones I remember as a kid. But I had no idea about the vast diversity of native apples that
4: once grew in Ireland
0: or the ancient history that Ireland has with apples.
4: We're at the National Museum of Ireland at Kildare Street and we're standing at a display case in the Viking exhibition and it's showing us actual foods that would have been eaten by people in Viking Dublin and we can see in front of us apple seeds.
0: This is Mariel McClatchy, assistant professor at University College Dublin, UCD, School of Archaeology. She is an archaeobotanist, which is an archaeologist that investigates food plants
4: we know that apples were amongst the very first foods enjoyed by the earliest settlers in Ireland. So that's going back around 10,000 years ago, we know from radiocarbon dating. And that's at a site called Mount Sandal, which is a settlement in County Derry. And at this settlement, which consisted of a wooden hut or house, we found the remains of apple seeds. So it's telling us that these very earliest settlers in Ireland, these hunter-gatherer communities, were picking and eating apples.
0: that's incredible. But they have that kind of mythical story to them as well. They
4: do, and that's something that you see that they, again, in the early medieval period, that they have special qualities, magical qualities, sometimes associated with apples. So apples are unusual in that they're one of the few foods that are placed in what you might call special deposits. So in things like tombs, for example, in powell Portal Tomb, the beautiful portal tomb in County Clare we find apple remains. And also in Newgrange, in the very well-known passage to human county Meath, we find apple remains there too. We have the early Irish tree list, um, where the trees are arranged in accordance of their economic value. And this is around the 7th to 8th century AD. And what we see are the nobles of the woods. So these are trees like oak and hazel, holly and yew, and wild apple is included in that. And apples would have been prized for their fruit and also for their bark, because their bark could yield a yellow dye. Highly prized and protected under Breton law. The penalty for destruction of an apple tree would depend on your status in society. Uh, But in either case, the culprit must restore a tree of exactly the same variety. And also we see in a legal passage a very heavy fine of two ounces of silver, which would be a huge amount for stealing one apple from a tree. Now this may have not been actually enacted, but it's showing people how important apples were regarded in this society around the 7th or 8th century. And we're not just talking about wild apples, the crab apple
0: but also cultivated apples.
4: Um, and it looks like from the early medieval period that they're starting to be cultivated. And indeed, we have historic evidence where people refer to sour apples and sweet cultivated varieties.
0: When you say that we have the cultivated apples, do we have
4: names? Uh, we do in by the medieval period. So not in the early medieval period, it's just a variety that is referred to as a sweet cultivated variety. In the medieval period, so that's after about the 12th century AD, um, then we start to see many more orchards being developed and apples taking place in people's gardens across different social scales. So not just in the higher classes, but in many different types of gardens, we see apples being grown. And that's in the, the historic records when we start seeing the names of different varieties. So ones that are known as custards and permains and bitter sweets, And the latter one is being used for cider making in particular. Um, so it's well over a thousand years ago, and uh, we may have that very long tradition of making cider in Ireland. Now at this time, apples would have been all around Ireland, so we had our own varieties. So there is an ancient history of growing apples
0: all over Ireland. And this story is about how we almost lost them all. And the apple finders and apple keepers who saved them. People like Pada MacNeese, who died in 2002 at the age of 53, from heart disease. I met his brother Sammy on their farm in Armagh. The MacNeeses have been growing fruit there for generations. Armagh is known as the Orchard County of Ireland. Apple growing is a major industry here. The Armagh Bramley is the main apple grown here, with over 35 million apples grown annually.
5: The old varieties that I remember growing on our farm here at Ardress, uh, you know, like Barnhill, Frank's Seedling, Cavan Rose, Greasy Pippin, all of those were actually grown in our mile, but they were eventually worked over onto Bramley because the Bramley, it, it was the in thing of the time and all the old varieties lost favour sort of thing. You know, in the 70s and 80s, whilst we were planting Bramley wholesale, Peter, he would uh, say, now, the old varieties, you can't forget them, you know, you must get a bit in here and there. There was a stage, probably, that a lot of these varieties would have been lost. But what amazed me was that apples, and it was only when Peter started to do his research into the old varieties that uh, I discovered that apples were grown all over Ireland, right down the west coast of Ireland, right down to Kerry. And the old varieties seem to flourish in in harsher conditions. And
0: Isn't it amazing to think that we had all these and apples growing? I, I was up in Armagh last week. Sam was saying to me, you know, we, we think that it's only the Armagh county because it's the orchard capital of Ireland or whatever. That, that it's was that the, Sam McNeice? Yeah. Yes, yeah, and Padder. Yeah. Yeah. You
2: knew um, yeah, and it was interesting. You know, ideas I think must come from somewhere and are planted in a few spots, you know, like a plant or something. He was doing the same work up there, um, but he didn't know I was doing it and I didn't know that he was doing it. And, and he was gone way too soon. Yeah, he, he knew much more. You know, he, he had apples in his genes. Yeah, amazing man.
0: Yeah, I met his brother. Like, they're five generations. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, it, it is in their blood. It, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah.
0: But to think, and he's saying we don't realize that apples can grow. of apples can grow like in windswept, snowy gullands.
2: Well, the man who found uh, who found where they originally came from, where apples come from, was this amazing Russian scientist Nikolai Vavilov, and he found them in the Tianshan Mountain Range. This was in
0: 1929, in the Tianshan Mountain Range of southern Kazakhstan. Vavilov visited Almaty, the city there. Almaty means fatherland of apples.
2: He was saying that in that mountain range that you could pick an apple off a tree and eat it when the ground was frozen nine feet. But you, can you imagine being in a frozen landscape, totally frozen, and having apples on a tree and biting them and having them feed you? You know, we have, we, have, we have such a linear understanding of things things are so much more complex vavilov traveled around the world exploring where our
0: food comes from in order to get a better understanding of crop varieties for
2: future food security and you know russia russia suffered from huge famines so i think the scientific community was really focused on how to prevent that but vavilov himself was really a very wide-thinking man i think people of my generation vavilov would have been all our hero, you know, because in a way, what he did, traveling almost the entire earth, looking to try and understand where food came from and going on a, on a donkey or a camel into the middle of nowhere, you know, the sands of Ethiopia to find onions and the mount, the Tian mountain range to find apples and, and, and gather the seeds, um, you know, over a quarter of a million varieties of food plants anyway how inspiring could you could you be you know and to have died how he died um do you know how he died this was when stalin was in power and whatever he was stalin didn't like it and he was eventually arrested and he starved to death in a gulag yeah
0: up until recently it was not known where the cultivated apple originated from now dna research shows that they originate from these orchards of
2: the Tanxian Mountain Range. There, there's there's a few different species of apples. The ones that are the ones that we know are all um, Malus domestica and all these varieties of it. And there were different varieties of apples there, but um, they they what Vavilov described was finding a, an apple that he said could be on a, a greengrocer shelf and just plucking it off a tree. So they weren't bitter small shriveled things it was like being in the garden of eden and um, they were all falling on top of each other and bears and birds were spreading the seed you know bears would come in and break branches and then the branches would root and more trees would come and um, it's hard to imagine the orchards are still there
0: though they are greatly declined and are under threat in ireland we have a national collection of native irish apples that preserves the diversity and variety of the apples that are uniquely Irish. A collection we almost lost completely. I had no idea of the importance and beauty of what we nearly lost until I went to see it. The collection is replicated across three locations one of which is the Drumley Estate in Loch in Armagh. Sammy McNeese brought me there and introduced me to the pomologist Sean McIntyre. Welcome to Lachau. Thank you very
6: much. This is amazing, what a beautiful wall garden. Oh, this so this is the wall garden at Loch Gaul and this is the heritage apple collection. So here we have all kinds of old apple trees that are no longer in commercial production. Uh, they don't, for whatever reason, satisfy the supermarket requirements. But each of them is genetically different. And each of them had a reason for existing back in the day when it was widely used.
0: They're gorgeous. And how many varieties are we looking at now? How many varieties would be in this collection?
6: Uh, We would have over 100 varieties in the collection. These are are every shape, size. Some of them would have been cider. Some of them are eating. Some of them are cooking. Some of them are dual. Some of them are triple. What do you mean dual and triple? Well, I mean, triple means you could use it for anything, At different, depending on how, as it ripens. So all of these trees have different pros and cons, advantages, disadvantages, depending on uh, how easy or difficult they were to grow. Effectively now, the environmental changes are now starting to become self-evident with uh, much heavier episodes of rainfall, uh, severe weather. We need to know which of these trees in our gene bank are have the background in them to survive the change in the weather because those are the trees which we would then propagate for the future.
5: I was saying there, John, when Pether started to do the identification of the apples, he was getting fruit from every county in Ireland. Apples
6: grow in every part of Ireland. They always did, and people always used them, and apple trees were regarded, if you think back to the Brehan Laws, Apples were one of the noble trees, and you had all the fines, etc. If you damaged your neighbour's apples, so there is a culture of growing apples that goes back thousands of years. There's a the carry pippin. Now that,
5: um, very sweet, yeah.
6: Sweet, gorgeous. Can I take one? Yep.
0: Yeah, Put away. It's oh, yum.
6: Is a hell of a lot better than the ones you buy in the shop? Yeah well technically the the ones that you buy in a shop have been produced under supermarket requirements so they have to be very hard when they're picked so they can take packaging they have to be stored for quite a considerable period of time and the problem with storing fruit and keeping it dormant means that you have a very poor chance of it ripening naturally and giving you the proper flavour. But as long as it's hard, firm, storable and transferable, that's all the supermarket requires. And the cardinal sin in all of this is that nobody ever tastes the apple before they put it in the lunchbox. So as soon as the lunchbox is open, that's the first thing gets fired into the bin.
5: Funny, I, I, I spoke to a French packer one time, I called it this cooperative, and it was August, they were packing uh, Golden Delicious. And he took me over to the the lines and he showed me the apples and he said, you see those green ones? They're for the Irish market. (laughs) All they want, as Sean said earlier on, is just looking well, crispy, will keep. They want it before it's ready, in other words. And the nice yellow ones on the other side, they're going to the French market because the french want them nice and yellow <laughs> <laughs> and
6: sweet and ready to
5: eat <laughs> so he, he, he couldn't he couldn't really he said they're crazy they're crazy they're, e- they're eating apples that are that are absolutely not ready to eat you know ah uh, delicious uh, we were talking earlier on about the air miles on fruit, you know, and if you can imagine stuff coming from South America, Brazil, etc., etc.
0: As opposed to the ones that we can grow ourselves in orchards that are rich in life. I can see the earwigs. You Were praising them?
5: I was praising them earlier on because <laughs> they will eat the efforts to a band plan.
6: They are a massively important carnivore. Yeah. Like the dinosaur of the, for, the, for the aphids, they really are fabulous eaters.
0: I see beehives down the end there.
6: Yeah, we have a lot of beehives on the estate from just people who have bees as a hobby. You don't get apples without bees. Now, whether it's honeybees or bumblebees, it doesn't make any difference to the apple.
0: I'm standing in this beautiful old walled garden. This is our apple heritage. This is the story of our apples in Ireland. The apples that made the apple tarts of our great grandmothers. It's all sitting here. These apples are tough. They grew in every environment. They are sweet and delicious. That Kerry Pippin that I ate was the nicest apple I've eaten in a long time. If I could give my kid that apple going to school, it wouldn't be chucked in the bin. It's sweet and gorgeous. Imagine, we nearly lost all of these native Irish apples if it wasn't for the work of people like
2: Anita Hayes. The story is Dr. Lamb's, really, um, and Dr. Hannity. Dr. Hannity, um, who passed away a couple of years ago. But, say, Dr. Lamb, who found the apples, he was so ahead of his time because he did that research in the 40s and the 50s when nobody was doing it. So but for him, there would, we wouldn't have a national apple collection.
3: Um, so he was... In UCD at the time, uh, he was studying. This is
0: Pat O'Mara, orchard curator at Seed Savers.
3: He was quite aware of the diminishing number of varieties in Ireland, even back in the forties and fifties. People were grubbing out trees and whatnot. And
0: why were they doing that?
3: There's several reasons, I suppose. Just nurseries were pushing more and more international varieties, uh, English varieties mainly, and so that was one reason. But then also the Irish government actually were given farmers or apple growers incentives to remove the old Irish varieties and to replace them with English varieties that had a more proven track record and supposed to homogenise the whole industry and make it that little bit easier to manage from from their perspective as well. But yeah, just less and less scope or possibility for an Irish variety, yeah. Yeah. So he recognised
4: that back
3: in the 40s? He did, yeah. And so he decided to do his thesis uh, on the apple varieties of Ireland and their history. Uh, so.
0: Dr. Lamb's PhD thesis involved him travelling around Ireland in the 1940s by bike and by train, documenting the native Irish apples that still remained. This became like a catalogue of the varieties that existed in Ireland. Another key person in this story is Kevin Kenny, just recently retired. He spent his working life in UCD at the Apple Research Project which grew from Dr. Lamb's work.
1: And when he was doing all his work, he also collected varieties. He went round the country and he collected varieties. And he saved them in Glasnevin, in the Albert College. And by the way, it was... They reckon it was the first native apple collection in the world at the time, in 1949. And he left in 1953 and went off about his business and then Professor Clark took over and he looked after the collection until 1970 and in 1970 there was a big blunder made by the local authority they were doing some renovation work in the college and they were putting up a new building and the guys were sent in on a Saturday morning to clear an area for this building and they got their wires crossed and they bulldozed the whole collection flattened it and it wasn't that you could recover anything it was just Trees were completely mixed up with soil and blocks and cement and bulldozed into one corner. Yeah. And he didn't live too far away from Glasnevin. I mean, he could walk from his house to it. On that Saturday morning, the bulldozers levelled everything and destroyed a lot—a lifetime's work for Dr. Lamb. His All his work was just flat. I know how he'd feel. I mean, I'd feel the same if, if that happened in UCD.
0: The destruction of that orchard was caused during the time when UCD was relocating from Glasnevin to Belfield in Dublin, its current home.
1: And UCD decided to move all the research facilities into Belfield and have them all under the one roof. And then I had to start fresh again. I was given a four-hectare site, which just derelict trees, gone wild... So I had to reclaim it and I turned it into a research station.
0: And Bill back the collection, which is now known as the Lamb Clark Collection at UCD, which is the second location of the National Irish Native Apple Collection.
1: So luckily enough, um, at that time, UCD had sent 27 varieties over to England to their research station in Kent called Brogdale and that's where they housed their national collection. We went looking for them back after this. And our Department of Agriculture said, no, can't bring trees back into Ireland because the danger of fire blight, which is a disease can wipe out orchards in a very short space of time. So we couldn't get them back. We spent 24 years trying to get them back. And eventually, Professor Hennerty came into the scene. He was the, the man I worked with for all those years. And in connection with Anita Hayes, which you've, met and um, decided to try and get them back and they agreed the Department of Agriculture agreed if we would keep them in a controlled glass house. that's where I came into play so I went to England I got the 27 varieties in short little sign wood, little pieces of wood
0: You need these little pieces of wood or sign wood as they're called because in order to get the exact copy of an apple tree you need to clone it if you use the seed, you can get any variety. A seed from a red apple could give you a green apple, and so on. You have to clone it, and you do that by grafting and budding.
1: And wintertime you graft, and summertime you bud. Yeah, a bud is literally a bud, tiny bud, inserted into the bark. I'm simplifying this now, say, into the bark of the rootstock, and allow it to grow, and it'll grow. And then you remove everything else but the one that's growing. And that's your new tree. Now that's simplifying it. And grafting is where you take a piece of, what we call it wood. For the layman, it's cutting. It could be 15, 20 centimetres long. And you cut it in a specific way and you attach it to the rootstock. And all these trees are grown on rootstocks. The rootstock controls the size and vigour of a tree. So all the trees in UCD are grown on M9. M9, dwarfs the tree by 65%.
0: So after 24 years of trying, they got the sign wood of the trees that Lamb had sent to Kent.
1: We got 27 original Irish ones back, brought them back, uh, grafted them, and we kept them in a glasshouse for two years. So no disease could get in or out. And when the Department of Agriculture were happy that they were disease-free, we would outplant them out. And in the meantime, Anita Hayes... She had set up Irish Seed Savers uh, around 1990, and she was keen on saving everything, every fruit, veg. So that included apple trees.
3: Anita Hayes, and she was in contact with Dr. Lamb, and she was in contact with Patrick McNeese and together they tried to rebuild Dr. Lamb's connect- collection. That was
0: that was documented in Dr. Lamb's PhD thesis. The 27 signwoods that were sent to Kent was only a selection of what he had documented. They knew that there was far more native Irish apple trees out there that were under threat.
2: He just—he didn't write down exactly where they were, but he wrote down the counties.
0: So you knew you were on a map, you had a map, you knew what you were looking for.
2: Exactly, yeah, that's right. So Dr. Lamb, when I met him, I said, if I go out and do the legwork, can I bring the apples to you? Because he would have known them, and I wouldn't have had the expertise to, to identify them. And the apples came as well. You know, we put out posters and people very kindly wrote articles in, you know, in the Irish Times and uh, in localities. And and it only happened because people in their localities cared about it, really. It was just, um, you know, it would have been great if it had been done 20 years before. But, you know.
1: And she went around the country for a couple of years and she met different people, farmers, gardeners, historians, anybody that would know the history of the local apple trees. She collected an enormous amount of fruit. She got some beautiful gems, some lovely ones, you know. And every so often she would come to me and she'd have a little bundle of of Siam and she'd say I got this this fellow in Cavern and he was a lovely man and great stories too about them. i could tell you a few interesting ones in a minute.
0: Did it feel
2: like a great adventure going around? Oh God, are you kidding? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it did, it did. Because I think I was thinking before of meeting you of of what it means to be an immigrant. You know, so I'm um, not a refugee. You know, but I was allowed in, and I'm not Irish. Um, Then there's something that immigrant people bring. You know, it's just just a fresh eye and no idea of of how you should you should be or you shouldn't be. You know, you can just follow. Your dream, kind of. So,
0: I suppose you're free to be curious.
2: Exactly, and to, to, um, yeah, to see things in a new light. Aside from the trees, the people were also really amazing, you know, very, um, huge amount of knowledge, very humble in their knowledge. And you'd have to dig and ask a bit, and then these pearls of knowledge would just, you know, come forth. There was almost always. And I hope this is still true. I think it probably is still true. There was always somebody in a locality who held the history. Yeah. It is so true. And it's a history that sits
0: with a generation that we need to be very careful because it's very tender. It's, very, mm. it's
2: easily lost. Mm. that knowledge, mm. And I think that's true of all food security things as well. I, I've retired from Seedsayers, but I still grow my own food and... Yeah, still working with how the seasons are changing because of climate change. And, you know, I'm not a very doom and gloom kind of person, but, you know, I do think people's minds and inventiveness and intelligence are going to have to turn a new way, and and they will. But the potential here is enormous. You know, all you need is cover, and you can grow anything, yeah.
0: So tell me a story about what you remember about going to get the
2: apples. Charlie Robinson, who was, um, again, just an incredibly intelligent, cultivated person who lived a very modest life with his two brothers. They they were kind of master beekeepers, furniture makers, local historians, clock fixers. Uh, incredible, really. Um, but, but Charlie knew a whole lot about the local apples in his area.
1: And we have four varieties in the old collection. Cabin strawberry, cabin wine, sugar cane, cabbage stock, this and he had all the history behind these very interesting guy and he came with us when we went to Uctron in 1996 to launch the collection himself and his wife lovely man
2: he invited me to come visit and and uh, he lived in lived in Milltown outside Bel in County Cabin and had a you know kind of small cottage and walked up the lane and he had this apple tree with this beautiful rose climbing up the apple tree. Oh, my God, it was so beautiful. But I remember seeing that that picture, and then he took me into his house, and they had a very small kitchen, and one of them was cooking, Um, and there were about, maybe about 15 clocks (laughs) in this very small room. it was just beautiful yeah really beautiful and beautiful people very generous uh, you know i think people understood there was no profit driven behind any of it and it was to do it for uh, the future so people got that yeah oh yeah charlie was he was incredible
1: but the ironic story is that when i was a young boy i used to love going fishing and Cavan is full of lakes and rivers and there's a river flowing very near this man's house, and we used to particular Baker's Bridge, and we used to go there and fish, but boys being boys, we used to steal apples, you know. And I would have eaten these apples, not knowing that many, many years later I would study them, work on them, do research on them, and I've raided these orchards in Milton, because that's what we did when we got bored of the fishing we used to go. and we called it progging. It's an Irish word, prog to take. And uh, but I've drifted off the story but I would graft them and some of the wood was very poor because they were real old but I worked with them as best I could and I propagated and I managed to get five and six trees from each of the varieties she brought to me and when I got them up and running when they were about a year old I give half of them to her and she brought them back to Claire. so we, we split the, the, the takings as they say and, um,
0: and so Anita brought them down to Seed Savers in Clare, the third location of the National Irish Native Apple Collection.
1: Some great stories, one in particular about Bally Vaughan seedling. And uh, Bally Vaughan is, you know, in County Clare. And she went along one day and she met this very interesting guy and she told her the history with this old tree. And he brought her out into the, it wasn't just the back garden, it was the farmyard. And there's one tree lying over on his side. And she, he said, that's that's it. That's the last one. That's we know of, right? And he was leaning over, and the cattle were uh, walking all over. and There was broken branches. And But yet she managed. She got a few pieces of it and oh, that brought them back to me and told me, be careful with this one. This is rare. So we put it together, and now we have lots of trees all around the country planted. But on our travels, she was passing through... Ballyvorn, and because this guy was very interesting and whatever, she wanted to say hello, and and he told her that the tree had died. In the meantime, and we're we really lucky to have got that one. And that would have been lost for posterity. So, um, not to look the stories like that, you know, and uh, and I love going back and seeing things that I've grown because you you think you'll never see forty or fifty years, but you generally people do, and if you do something forty years ago, it's a legacy then, you know. He so planted all these apple trees for the kids to rob? Yeah. <laughs> the cycle goes on,
0: doesn't it? Pada McNeice, up the north was also continuing to preserve that legacy, collecting and propagating native Irish apples. Pada worked with local growers, forming the Armagh Orchard Trust, who planted the orchard at Loch Gaul, that we visited earlier. Pada had been a teacher in Armagh, but due to his ill health, he had to retire. But he still had close connections with the schools.
5: I, I don't know. He got that out into the education authority that they should schools should have a little garden with a few old varieties in it for for their own sake, and that that took off. And is
0: that schools just in Armagh? No, no
5: schools all over the north. Then uh, he worked closely with Michael Henrity down in UCD. With the result that uh, he started to put a lot of his, his um, graft wood and that down to the seed savers and they actually planted a little orchard down there in the part of the Orchard.
1: <laughs> we got it together and um, the idea was that we wanted to make sure we should never lose this again like we did the last time. So we wanted to have a collection in different parts of Ireland. So Clare was one. Dublin, with our collection, and Northern Ireland. So this will never happen again. We'll never lose them now. But too much of a to lose all three, possible, nearly. So it's safe? safe, yeah. Safe for posterity and all the good work that Michael put in and Anita. It's great. And
6: yourself? A oh, little...
0: Just that idea that we had that rich, rich diversity. We had so much all over the country. And it's actually these amazing people like yourself who continue. And without that, we wouldn't have it. We wouldn't
7: have.
1: Yeah. But at the time when you're doing it, you you don't realise that you're doing something very important. I mean, I didn't. I I enjoyed it and I just did it. Um.
0: The collection may be safe for now, but it's not complete there are still varieties missing.
1: So I would have had maybe 150, 160 different varieties growing in this section. And when we went through them with a fine comb, we actually discovered we really only had 68 of the original Irish in it, which was brilliant in the first place. So we had 68 varieties. And since then, we've actually added to it a little, you know. Owen and Pat have done brilliant work and they've added to it. I've obviously not working on it anymore, so it's over to them from now on.
3: Yeah, we have most of them uh, and we're confident we have uh, the correct variety uh, because Dr. Lem would have verified that uh, when himself and Anita and Padder were recollecting the varieties. But there are some varieties that we don't have uh, of his initial collection
0: And what are you missing then? How many are you missing do you think?
3: Um... I think it's about 10 varieties from his initial 60-70 varieties yeah. Are
0: they cookers or eaters? Or?
3: Mix Mix.
0: Yeah. That could kind of buggy.
3: Yeah, we're constantly keeping an ear out and an eye out for the names We don't release the names publicly We'd prefer if someone came to us with the name And there's other varieties that were referenced historically also uh, in ireland other sources or other references and we don't have those either no yeah
7: we are constantly
3: looking keeping our ears out yeah yeah it's kind of a nice image though
0: isn't it still looking (laughs) for the mystery
3: (laughs) yeah it makes my emails a little bit more interesting (laughs) and you know i mean we have a collection of a hundred and forty odd domestic apples DNA profiling in the future may prove me right or wrong, but I think we've only scratched the surface, you know, in terms of what we have or the unique varieties. Yeah.
0: Working with Pat at Seed Savers is Owen Keen, who's the orchard coordinator.
3: So unfortunately, the missing
8: list will always have these mythical names and a bit of magic about them, and then we have our trees here that are unknown, and so they could be, they could be very old. They could have. A story that could be the one mentioned in the survey or in the book but we'll never fully know.
0: But the main thing is to safeguard what we have.
8: Because it's one thing to have something saved under lock and key but really it's never going to go anywhere unless people know about it, experience it, uh, appreciate the flavours and the productivity of the apples and their different characteristics and propagate them and have them out in the gardens around the area. And I guess that brings me to what we would consider the fourth duplicate of the collection would be what people have growing in their own homes and back gardens and orchards because varieties are considered quite safe and well-conserved only if they're distributed around the country and commonly grown by people. That would be the safest way to keep anything.
0: And that fourth collection is growing well. There are now incentives for farmers to plant native Irish apples, And county councils around Ireland are also starting to plant heritage apples. And there are beautiful projects like Hard Graft by artist Shodine O'Sullivan in association with Common Ground and Studio 468. Hard Graft is grafting towards community orchards around Dublin.
7: Uh, Kevin selected a variety of heritage apple trees. Um, His favourite and the ones that he thought would be best for children and cooking to plant um, towards Orchard's for Dublin 8 area.
1: Yeah, I did. I volunteered to help any of those organisations to teach people, like, like especially kind of in an inner city area, who are passionate about it, that love to see trees grown in their area, apple trees. And I admire the people who organise things like that, you know. And the idea was to plant trees in waste areas all around the city. We got rootstocks and we helped them bud and graft
7: um and we we grafted with different community groups so there's the men's shed um gardening group we're working with them the um homework club and then just residents from the local areas yeah people from lots of different um backgrounds coming together to graft so that everyone feels a sense of ownership over the trees eventually so we have 80 trees that are now sitting in the two community gardens in Dublin 8. From my experience of working in the community gardens, I think um, orchards are a good starting point for people to access um, food in the city because they um, don't require little maintenance. You need to prune them maybe once a year. It's an easy way for food to be in the city. A lot of European cities have um, fruit trees as um, street trees. You know, you go to Athens and there's oranges. They pick, harvest them and make marmalade and stuff. We don't really have that in Dublin. At the moment, we are um, working with the landscape architects on the Dolphin's Bond Regeneration Project. So they are regenerating the um, social housing in Dolphin's Barn at the moment. And we're working with the community groups and the landscape architect to plant um, the orchards within um, the site there.
0: And what's people's responses to the, the apple?
7: Um, it's all been so positive. I suppose it's captured people's imagination in lots of ways. And people can understand through conversations on climate change and um, sustainable cities that... Projects like this are valuable and important. Um, Everyone loves a fruit tree. Just hoping that people have access to a seasonal cycle with the trees and that particularly children will have access to um, fruit. You know, as they grow up within the estate, that it becomes part of their culture. That they have a direct relationship to nature, which I think is really important for long-term mental health.
0: So the apples found by our apple finders and preserved by our apple keepers are now being planted in inner city Dublin so the next generation can enjoy the taste of a really good Irish apple.
8: We'll try and get a a good looking ripe one. Thank you. Oh my God, that's gorgeous. Mm. Real crisp, juicy. Yeah. Nice flavour.
0: Tell me where we're going
8: into now. So we're going into Padder's Orchard, which is our research orchard. Um, So we've called this orchard after Padder in his honour. Each tree is different, um, but this is open to the public to walk around. I'll bring you down a little bit further to another apple that's really caught people's attention lately. It's called Belvedere House. This very deep, um, burgundy-coloured apple Very productive. You can see the fruit is hanging on it, almost like a grapevine. It's absolutely the ground is covered in in fruit, and then there's still a lot of fruit still on the tree. They're kind of medium-sized. If we pick one, but if I cut through this apple, you can see the internals are bright red. Now it is a cooking apple. Um, It's a beautiful
0: looking apple. It
8: is, yeah, and it it really makes uh, quite colourful jams, jellies, and tarts we we'll go over to the next orchard mm-hmm. to show you some of the eating apples. Here, yeah. This variety is carn russet. It would be associated with County Cork. It's a very dry apple.
0: Oh, wow, that's so sweet.
8: Yeah, it's got a lot of flavour. In, in our collection, there'd be the extremes, I suppose. They'd be very, very juicy and very, very dry and, and sweet and sour and so on. And this would be pretty much the most extreme in terms of quite a dry apple which would be good for say if you were preserving for apple rings or something like that you know every type of apple has its use the national collection is all about genetic resources whether something is immediately useful now as a apple tree for the home garden or for a business like a cider business or something like that or whether it's something that could be useful in the future for breeding because some of them it's the potential that they have in terms of cropping or disease resistance or suitability to the climate that can be combined with another variety and after that you can get a, a new variety. So all of these varieties, whether we know almost nothing about them or we know a lot about them, they're all part of the collection as a genetic resource.
2: And um, not to keep things traditional, not to do things just to keep them but to take what was left to us and, and use it really intelligently to provide for the future.
0: And is the native Irish apple collection safe?
2: We oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. And, and um, you know, people, you know, it's really safe because it's in people's back gardens. That's where, that's where things belong.
0: Bittersweet is a curious broadcast production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. Narrated and produced by Patricia Baker. Edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Context Studio. Music by Tommy Hayes from his album Apples in Winter.